In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We salute you. Guys, we salute you because you are getting it done in the bubble. You are grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests, especially our guest today, is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to manhood. Our goal from every episode is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to become the best version of you because when a man gets it, everyone, everyone wins. Wow, a little slow a little on that, slow. guys. A little slow. Drink some more coffee. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with the mix master, the PhD of sound, Dr. Pat George. <laughs> Good morning. Good to be here. I feel like I'm on a roll. You are on a roll I, today. Man, that coffee was cranking it out, baby. Yeah, so you nice. know where I'm in that nice, colorful shirt? Yeah, isn't I like that. Shirt? Those buttons are like shiny. Check that out. That I don't sure? want to see your hairy chest. Okay. All right. So, and of course, I'm here with our producer, my good friend, and one day after his birthday, Dale Culver. How you doing, Woo! my man? Dude, I'm alive. Are you alive? <laughs> I'm alive. You smell it. You smell like you're alive. So, good job for you. Did you have a good birthday yesterday? That's deodorant and cologne. Yeah, I did. What I turned 45. What happened? 45. Yeah. Wow. So you're in your cult for your ACP year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, baby. 45. I'm a 45 guy. Yeah. 45. 230 45. grain, baby. <laughs> Wait, that's a drink, isn't it? Colt 45. Colt 45. How would he know all he is drinks is coffee? Coors Light? I don't, I don't know. He's no. all he is drinks is any, Coors Light. Yeah, is there anything other than Coors Light? It's not Coors. There's beer. It's Coors. Oh, there, there's beer. real beer. <laughs> oh, it's Coors. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it doesn't even, yeah, doesn't even deserve proper pronunciation. Oh, it's my hydration yeah. drink. Yeah, oh, we man. went out to eat, and uh, friends. there were some friends there, and uh, when we got done, the waitress said, yeah, you ready for your bill? Yeah. And she goes, it's taken care of. What? And uh, yeah, the blessing, man. That was so well, awesome. Somebody so, in the restaurant took care of your bill? Yeah. 
It's whoa, yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. You know who so, it was? Uh, I, so did you I look around? Feeling, yeah. Okay. Don't say names. Don't, don't say. So it. Don't and we it. we had a, I did get a I texted a friend of mine. He's in the military down in uh, San Diego, and uh, I said, hey, he was he sent me a picture of him firing some tanks, some fifty cal, and I said, see the AV guy. It was just a picture, and I said, man, you know it would make my birthday really special. If I had a video of you shooting him, oh my gosh, that was that made my That's birthday. Good. Yeah, boof, boof, boof. Oh, he did send you a video. Yeah, just oh, firing those rounds oh, off. Oh, yeah, good. all I've, right. Yeah, a bunch of hair popped out of my chest. It was awesome. <laughs> Why would that make the what hair the pop heck out does of his that chest? Mean? I don't even know. Manly. What does that even mean? Was your wife like know. pulling them out with her teeth? What's going on there? Oh, that's, just that's disgusting. That's a visual. <laughs> hey, do you have a man word for it? I gotta go. I'm, I'm I do. getting really, was really uncomfortable. You want to know my man uh, word? Yeah. What your man word? You're so based talking. on our guest, based on our guest. Okay, you gonna guess? Yeah. I'm based looking at the on bio. Our guest. This word is in the bio. I'm gonna go with the word. Oh man, I'm fired up. Oh, I'm going to think it's you, and you're going to think it's one word, but you're going to go with two words. I'm going to say no, down, it's one down word, range. One word. One word. How about adversity? That's so great. No, Conviction. it's strike. Oh. Yeah. There's even quotes around it, so it was like screaming out. So why is that caps. a man word? Man word? Yeah. Oh, it just sounds manly. That's why I chose it. No, you can't just you're... pick a man word five seconds before the man word. We've had this discussion. You've got to think this that's, through. That's good, huh, CJ? I'm going to bail no, you out. No, there. No, no, no. I'm going to strike because, like, you know what? If there's a problem, we're going to jump in. We're going to strike at it. We're going to beat it down. We're going to take care of it. So, uh, see, I was thinking, yeah. you know what I was thinking, Pat, when I hear yeah. the word strike, that sometimes you swing and miss. Yeah. Keep swinging. Keep swinging. So I no. think there's two sides. Come no. in hard and fast after you've strate- built your strategic plan. Come in and do your thing. And I think the other thing is if it doesn't fail, keep swinging the bat. It's like the guy who, uh, the young guy, picked up, he had a baseball in his bat, and he, he put the, threw the ball in the air, swung, and missed. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Throws it up again, swings, and miss. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Throws it up again, swings, and miss. Scratches his head. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Keep swinging, baby. Keep swinging. Keep so, swinging. hey, uh, you want to do a little shout out for one of our iTunes reviews? <laughs> I like my definition better. I do. Anyway, yours is better. All yours, right, mine's more passive. You were scrambling. Yeah. No, I was not. <laughs> Jesus, just trying I, to articulate because you guys are so magnum. Um, yeah, I just want to give a shout out. We got a great uh, review on our iTunes podcast um from mr garrett schooley and so uh thank you for that and if you if this if you're digging this podcast we'd love it if you just give us a review and uh if we know who you are we'd love to send you some swag we got books we got shirts we got all kinds of cool stuff we'd like to send you so um just shoot us a shout out yeah and the reason why we know it's garrett schooley his it doesn't say it on his review it just says schooley g is that he called me coach. I coached Garrett in high school. In fact, I'm staring at a football from a state championship team that he was on, and we were playing in the championship game. We were playing this team that ran the wing tee to perfection, and it just gave me fits. We were a shooting defense, so we shot gaps and stunted, and Garrett was our nose guard. He's probably five foot nine, 220, thick, no, tooth, no, thro- no front tooth. He just was awesome. Looked just like a nose guard should look. Anyway, for that game, I said, you know, Garrett, instead of shooting gaps, I want you to hat read the center because every side his hat goes on, is where the play goes, and Garrett just ate him alive. We beat him 51-15 in the state championship. So so uh, there's a shout-out for you, Garrett. Good job. I hope you fix those teeth, though, buddy. 
I mean, they look good, but when you get married, your wife probably wants those teeth fixed. So. <laughs> anyway. Really? Oh, I know. Well, here, here I got to show you a picture. A review. He just looks scary. Anyways, he looks awesome. All right. Hey, uh, so as far as the hey, guys want to do, talk to you about uh, the Men in the Arena Facebook Forum for Men. Get on that forum and invite your buddies. Again, if you add 100 guys, we will shoot you some more swag. And uh, getting ready to launch our first ever virtual team in October. And uh, CG, I've got you on the list for that to be, on, to be on my team, man. So I'm excited about this. So hey, we got our new friend CJ Stewart. Uh, no, he's not a pitcher for a major league baseball team. <laughs> CJ Stewart is 29 years old. He lives in Clinton, Mississippi. He's a medically retired Army uh, uh, one with 101st Airborne, founder of Camp Downrange. He's been doing that five years. Uh, his mission and passion is to challenge, train men to fight in whatever endeavor God calls them to. His focus and real, his real focus, his sweet spot is twelve to twenty-two year olds. Uh, but he also works with adult young men and newlyweds and fa- or fathers. So he's been married to his beautiful wife Danielle for five and a half years. She's from Boston, Massachusetts, and one of his former occupational therapists while he was recovering at Walter Reed. Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. As far as accomplishments, he said, this is easy. It's an honor serving with a unit that got its birth on D-Day and is still making noise around the world, 101st Airborne. So that is super cool. We're really excited. CJ, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on, man. We really appreciate it. How you doing, man? I'm great. Uh, humbled to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, tell us about the 101st Airborne, that, the story, and how they got their name and all that. Yeah, well, so for us, um, you know, now there's uh, brigade combat teams, but uh, during World War II, there was parachute infantry regiments. So they, uh, you know, again, basically the Airborne, when it was first formed, they put everybody in, you know, big group and split them in half and said, all right, this is 101st and this is 82nd. And, uh, you know, they just kind of got dropped in, you know, just randomly in that aspect once they made it through Airborne school. And so uh, on D-Day, uh, to distinguish who they were, they started putting, you know, the, uh, the emblems and, and, you know, card deck of cards on their helmets to know who was who. And so, you know, that's kind of been made famous in some, some movies, Band of Brothers, miniseries. And, you know, so you had hearts and you had clubs and spades and, you know, that kind of uh, regard. And so uh, 2nd Brigade was the 502nd Parachute Infantry Regiment. Uh, and I always describe it as uh, that's the unit James Ryan was in uh, in Saving Private Ryan when uh, Tom Hanks uh, set out across Europe looking for him. And so uh, I was, uh, um, you know, honored to have served in the 502nd, which is now 2nd Brigade Combat Team. And uh, we still wear uh, hearts on our helmets. They're, uh, they're black hearts now, and they're on the, the sides of every strike soldier's helmet. And so uh, strike is uh, the brigade name. And so being the 1st Battalion, we were first strike is how we were kind of known uh, amongst uh, the other units. So that's, I think, where your word came from yeah. uh, earlier. Yeah. So right. now was I wrong in saying 101st Airborne? No, that's right. Okay. That's right. So that's the division. That's the division. Okay. So, uh, I mean, the best way to describe it when I when I talk to folks is uh, our division would be like uh, your school. So that's your big school is your division. And then the brigades would be like a grade. Uh, so, again, you take the 12th grade of a school, you know, that's the breakdown. And then you have like homerooms and then you got, you know, yeah. your buddies. And so, again, the squad level of nine men is the basic, you know, military infantry fighting unit. And then it just grows from there and they give it all fancy names that mean different things. But the, the, uh, so they know. So, is the division roughly a thousand? No, the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell today is you got 30,000 plus soldiers. Oh, oops. <laughs> company? <laughs> Which one's the thousand? Is it the company? 
Uh, battalion. Battalion. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, man, we're going to throw you into, we're going to throw you in the fire, man. We know you're used to it. We know you can handle it. So we're going to get you into the rapid fire round. And so what we're going to do now is I've picked for you, I call it this, I call this the use a word in a sentence round. Now, I don't do this very often because this one, guys get flustered, but you're okay. young, you're, uh, you're vibrant, you're a, you're a warrior. Wow. I just figure you can handle this. So I've picked some words I think will fit you and what you do. And so I just want you to use that word in a sentence. And if you want, you can explain why you put it there. All right? Okay. All right, here we go. First word, first word is challenge. Challenge. Uh, opportunity. Uh, so I would say every challenge presents itself as an opportunity uh, or an obstacle, depending on how you view it. Oh, that's good. Every challenge. Wow, that's really good. I'm going to ask him about that later. So next word is discipline. Discipline. So discipline is the bridge that takes you from where you are to where you want to go. And now I think that's in your battle plan, if I'm not it mistaken. It is. That's the first page. That's yeah, I know. Page. I've got some first. quotes on that page. What a, so have you read uh, Jocko Willink's book, uh, Discipline Equals Freedom? Uh, I have. I have. See, I've read Extreme I'm Ownership. Huge... I need to... I need to get that book. I haven't read that book yet. It's good. It's simple. I think it's uh, it's shorter uh, tagline, more like uh, we'll see, like Twitter friendly. Is how I would describe it. So again, <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, I'm in. All right. Well, cool, cool, cool. So uh, how about this word? Third word is men. Men. Uh, I would say definition unknown. Mm. Oh, <laughs> explain. Mm. Explain. I'd say if you asked 100, 100 guys, 100 males, what, what does it mean to be a man? Uh, you'd get 100 different answers. And, you know, and I always, the reason we started the camp and what we do at the Manhood Academy in the summer is I always ask the question, what's the difference between a 17 year old boy and an 18 year old man in our society? Well, you use and the nobody word. Nobody can answer it. Well, and you use the word male. So, in your opinion, are males and men different? Completely. Big boys that shave, you know, big kids, immature, whatever you want to call it. You can reproduce, unfortunately. You can shave. You can get a job. That doesn't mean you're a man. I love it. You can reproduce, unfortunately. <laughs> it is unfortunate when a male produces children. 40% of yeah. children today are born out of wedlock. And I, uh, I, I, I would have said that was low. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that if you produce a child out of wedlock, you're not a man. But what I am saying is of that 40%, many of those children, in fact, 24 million as of 2010 U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million will go to bed without a dad in the home. So this is a massive problem. So a man is not, you know, a male, what separates a male from a man? It is, uh, it's easy to make a child. It's hard to raise one. That is absolutely true, man. I, I mean, we are, we are, I, I, it's so great having guys with similar DNA on our podcast. So uh, let's go to the next word. The word is pain. Pain. Ooh, I, uh, I'm trying to think how to strategically say this. Uh, as a medic, I dealt with a lot of pain um, when, when my guys got hurt, and I was not friend. I wasn't their friend in that regard because I said pain never killed anybody. All it did was make you super aware. So pain's useful. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's what we do with that. So you were a medic. Okay. I was. Wow, I didn't realize that. I just from your story, I, I didn't bridge that gap. Well, you know. To me, when I experience pain, I come alive like never before because that pain causes me to focus acutely on the source of the pain. You become, and that's actually how Doc, Pat George here is a. He and I met because I had a severe back injury, and 
and we met through the pain. And so that's that's how. So I think pain, how you how, do you would you say pain is neutral? It's how you handle it, or would you say pain is negative? We've made pain negative, but pain is not negative. Um, working out, if you're working out right, you'll experience pain, but that's a very positive thing. Yeah, I think pain is a great means to a, a great end. Even even some of the tragedies you've had to experience are horrible in the in the initial experience, but looking back, I would imagine there's great benefit that comes out of it if you handle it the right way. For sure, and it's also a constant reminder for me. I'm reminded of what I'm doing every day when my elbow creaks and I sound like a 100-year-old man. <laughs> uh, I'm reminded. It hurts, but I'm still here. Yeah, well, hey, that's cool, man. Well, hey, first of all, I, I, I think all of us here in the studio would agree, and I know people flippantly use the phrase, but, man, we just want to say thank you for serving our country. And uh, because of you, I had a grandparent that flew on D-Day. I have a father-in-law who fought in the Quezon, uh, Vietnam. Uh, we got a, a father, uh, a great-great-grandfather who was a revolutionary man. He's a Minuteman. And so, man, we just really thank you that we have the privilege to to make choices uh, about the national anthem, which some people do in a real negative fashion, in my opinion. We can make choices about how we vote and who we vote for. We can make choices if we're going to drink beer or a Coors Light. Uh, we can we have these choices because of <laughs> because of guys like you, and so I can't express yeah. our thanks enough and our deep appreciation. And we're all civilians here in this room, but man, we really do want to honor you and uh, say thank you. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm humbled. Glad I got the opportunity to. Well, we really appreciate. It. So last word, man. This one's going to be easy for you because I think you live in this in this this realm. This is your space, man. Conviction. Conviction. Whew. Uh, I would say it's a God-given burden and a God-given calling at the same time for what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, that's good, man. That is so good. Hey, I want to just jump into the interview questions, and there's some things that just are resonating on my mind right now that I want to ask you about. But first of all, let's just why don't you why don't you tell us your story? Because your story is what intrigued me and brought you on the show because what you what your story represents and how you handled your story it's just really impressive and so i just want to share i want you to share about your story yeah uh well it's really cool because my story there's so many uh like i said there's so many chapters in my story that are unique and standalones by themselves so i know we don't have much time so i'm gonna skip through some of them that really did have a huge impact on, on getting me to where uh, where I am today, but I'll start my freshman year of college. I went to a uh, great school uh, in Clinton, actually, which is kind of my connecting point to Clinton and uh, on scholarship, uh, you know, great, you know, great upbringing, awesome family. And, you know, this was the next step to a happy life. You know, I graduated high school, supposed to go to college, you know, had plans to go three and three undergrad law school, you know, and do the thing. And in that dorm, I said, I am in the wrong place. I'm not, mm. not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It was the first time I ever looked down the road I was heading in life and said, when I arrive at the destination, not if, but when I get there, am I going to look back and go, man, I'm glad I did that. And I couldn't answer that question. Mm. And so I had to tear down a wall that I had built. Um, I love the military. My great-grandfather lost his leg in the Philippines during World War II and came home and was our town hero. And so I grew up around the domino table listening to the stories of men. Um, mm. of true, you know, he got two jobs when he came home with one leg uh, because wow. that wasn't the hardest thing he'd ever gone through. And so that's who I wanted to be. But I grew up and I said, that's what I read about on TV, or, uh, read about books and watched on TV and Band of Brothers and, you know, history and all that. And I said, but I couldn't do that. And so I finally 
tore down that lie and said, you know, baloney, if you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you got to step out, go. And so I enlisted. I walked to the recruiter's office. Obviously, I had a game plan, uh, but I went in the recruiter's office. And I'm like, I'm going to be the easiest dude you ever sign up. I said, man, I want to join the military. I said, I'm not joining for education. I'm leaving a scholarship at a private college. That's incredible. Um, I'm not going for job training. I still don't know what to be when I grow up. Still don't. Won't ever. Uh, I'm literally joining because I want to go to war and I want a job to make an impact. And he slid across a piece of paper that said healthcare specialist. And I was like, what the heck is this? And I was like, you didn't, I was like, you didn't hear me, bro. I was like, I want to be a GI Joe, not some, what is this, a nurse? And, uh, <laughs> and he laughed and he said, no, ding dong, read the, read it. And, uh, and it was a medic basically, but he said the, the army has changed the verbiage because they can't get guys to enlist in that. But he said, think about it. You provide, the first sentence was provide frontline care to soldiers injured on the battlefield. He said, how do you provide care on the battlefield to the soldiers injured? He said, you got to be there. And he said, and also as doc, which is, you know, the, the name that is earned, you're not a doc until that is earned and given to you by your brothers that you're taking care of. But he said, as doc, he said, they will take better care of you because they will want you to like them because when they get shot, they're going to want you to run really fast to come help them. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so my hazing looked a little different per se <laughs> when I got to the unit. Um, <laughs> and so for me, I've always loved pressure. I've always loved competition. Um, I, I'm very, I'm described that way about a lot of people who have known me from a very early age. I've gotten fights since I was three years old and I've, you know, punched teammates because they were dragging and just, you know, I'm very competitive. Like my three-year-old daughter, if she wins anything at the house, she earned it. Um, it's not, I mean, I got the the living room shot block record on that Fisher price goal. It's, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> so oh, I don't think you, oh, wait, 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 how do you feel about participation trophies? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know exactly how I feel. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do. You're, you're they're among great. friends. <laughs> a great, a great Kimlin. Uh, yeah. Great to throw in the air and shoot with your 12 right. gauge. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So I've always loved pressure. Uh, third down, you know, third and 10, throw me the ball. Two outs, I want to go to the bat. Like, I just, I love life at that at that high rate. When there's there's huge opportunity for failure, it means there's huge opportunity for success. And life just has a different feeling. Um, and so for me, being a medic, I only got to do my job when somebody was hurt. And so, uh, so I love that concept. Like, in this guy's darkest day, I get the opportunity to make a difference. You know, mm. sure, hey, I was all about it. I wanted to fight evil. Like, I joined and I wanted, like, you know, comic book style, like, good versus evil. Let's let's go to war. Let's go to the ultimate competition. You love football. You love competition. Go to a gunfight. Uh, I mean, it's, it really is. Uh, it's mono a mono. There's no, there's no redo. And so, uh, so I loved every bit of the, every minute of it. I loved Afghanistan. It was the wild, wild west where we were at that deployment. Uh, part of what I am very proud of is our unit, 2nd Brigade, was awarded a uh, presidential unit citation. Wow. Uh, only our fifth of the unit's history. We've got one in Normandy, one in Bastogne on uh, Battle of the Bulge, oh, yeah. and then two, two in Vietnam. And this was the first in the global war on terror. Wow. And uh, we were the first unit in Afghanistan to be a non-special operations unit to receive that. Up until then, it had only been you know the cool guys, the SEALs and Rangers and those guys that had been awarded. So we were the first conventional unit at the time. Wow. And so, uh, you know, I was very, you know, I loved it. Uh, in Afghanistan, um, I had never been more alive. Uh, I would never been more close to death every day, but I would never been more alive. I was a part of a team, a part of a group, and I experienced life, I believe, the way it, it, should, it should be. 
um, the, the, the meaningless didn't matter over there. And I didn't think about my cell phone and I didn't think about, you know, all this, you know, non-essential stuff. Uh, it was, Hey, we're alive. Uh, we might get to eat today. Um, wow. and at the end of the day, we're good. Uh, nothing else matters. Everybody's good. And so, uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to be in the army. I, I was a career guy. I'd only been in the army a year and six days when I got hurt and I'd already made up my mind. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. Wow. And then uh, our outpost got attacked, uh, like it did quite often. Uh, and uh, an enemy fired rocket hit a wall about seven or eight feet from me. Uh, sent pieces of the wall through my arm and leg. Uh, blew out both bones in my forearm. Skin was the only thing holding on to my arm below my elbow. Uh, my artery and my bicep was ruptured. A uh, couple holes in my leg, and you know uh, my world changed drastically. Wow. And so uh, I was medevac. Uh, doctors actually had to resuscitate me from blood loss. Um, I was given the whole electric paddles, shot back to life, and uh, started a journey that would be 18 months at Walter Reed, six months in a hospital room, uh, 41 surgeries to date on my arm and leg, piecing me back together, and uh, and you know really began a new war. Uh, you know, for me, it was it was all right. Here we go. Uh, next step. Is, I guess this is the journey I'm on. Now, how's the use of your leg today? It's fine. It was just muscular, clean hole through, you know, just you could have put a pen through it basically or a Sharpie could have just, you know, straight uh -huh. through. Now I asked about the leg because I know the arm was much more severe. How's that? That's right. How's the use uh, of the arm? It's better than it was on June 15th, 2010. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, so if you're looking right now, like uh, my pinky, ring finger, and middle finger, I can bend. Uh, I can't bend my thumb and I can't bend my index finger. Um, this is me doing this right now to you. Um, I can squeeze, uh -huh. but I can't open. Um, and like, I can't rotate and, you know, so it's, uh, I'd give it a, a solid 35, 40% use. Um, I can make a fist and I can still swing. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, there's some things I can still, I can still do pull-ups, push-ups. I just, you know, I just look a little goofy handing somebody change. But so you, but you have some use and mobility in that arm. I mean, I, I okay. I and uh, 40, how many surgeries on the arm versus the leg? Uh, so the leg, believe it or not, is actually, I had more surgeries on the leg from them taking stuff and putting it in my arm. Oh. So they've taken, uh, the gallery, they've taken veins, they've taken nerves, they've taken skin, uh, and then put into my arm. Uh, so yeah, so some of my feet are numb. Parts of both feet are numb. I was going to ask uh, that. Not from the injury. Yeah, not from the injury, but they yeah. took the veins out and uh, put them in my arm. Uh, I had a couple scars uh, from veins they used to reattach and get blood flow to my arm uh, because that was their fear. Uh, what was open and what they couldn't close, if they couldn't get blood to it, they were going to have to cut it off. Wow, wow. Well, that's a – wow. Now, uh, the good that came out of that, one of those is you met your bride did. in uh, did. occupational therapy. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm a three-strike guy. So going back to Dale's word, I am younger than her. I am from the South, and I am in the military, which she would have said absolutely not to any one of those. Yeah. Uh, and But I'm telling you, all she heard was, yes, ma'am, and it was done. Uh, but no, she, uh, she was my, uh, one of my occupational therapists, and uh, she's also a college athlete, and so very competitive in nature. And so it really started out, you know, as a challenge. You know, my hand really didn't work at that time. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I, I didn't have a lot of excuses, but, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was learning how to do everything left-handed and just, like, dragging this thing along. And so she, uh, she challenged me a lot. Uh, and, you know, and I, I, 
again, competitive. I fought right back. Yeah. So, um, you know, we played putt-putt, one-on-one basketball, all kind of stuff, like, shortly, a few months after getting hurt, uh, to which I tried to win. Uh, and that kind of, you know, <laughs> sparked a friendship. Some I won, some I lost. Uh, air hockey's pretty hard when you can't feel half your hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, um, I went down swinging is what I like to say. But, uh, you know, it sparked a friendship. And, you know, really and truly, you know, she was actually one of the first people I told about the idea to start a camp. And uh, her response was, that is incredible. Uh, that'd be an awesome place. I'd love to come volunteer. And so I took her up on that offer. Uh, yeah, you so did. <laughs> she, uh, she's, been, she's been stuck ever since. So you guys have been married five and a half years. And, uh, and then in your bio, you said you had three daughters. So I want you to tell us the story of the two. How old, yes. your, how old your, you have a three and a half year old right now? Yes. She turned three in July. So she's just over three. Okay. And then tell us the story of your two daughters. Yes. Faith and hope. So, uh, you know, we were naive, you know, still young and, and in love and just thought life was, you know, Hey, it was smooth sailing from here. Uh, you know, I hadn't really, you know, following getting injured and recovery, there was always, you know, a physical challenge, which, which was easy for me. It was just a task, you know, tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. Uh, and so, you know, when we got married and, you know, we're running the nonprofit and moved out to camp, you know, we got married in May and she got pregnant in August and, and, you know, we live on 200 acres and we didn't have a TV. So that wasn't hard. Uh, we didn't have any clue you know, to, to life and pregnancy and what that journey was. And we found out early, you know, hey, it's a girl at, at, an, at an ultrasound. And, you know, we had a guy's name and a girl's name already picked out. And so she was Faith Ann. Uh, Ann is my, my wife's middle name, but is also the middle name of her grandmother, who is the first Christian in that side of the family. Ooh, and yeah. then Faith, uh, Faith, ultimately, you know, for us, uh, we, we have our own stories of, of tragedy and triumph, uh, coming you know god bringing us back together and he really restored us is, is the word i would use um individually but at the same time using one another and so uh you know for us this was just the next chance and so we actually went to the anatomy ultrasound at 18 weeks um everything had been fine and you know the nurse came in and started the ultrasound and another doctor came in and said hey uh we're sorry we don't know what to tell you but this child doesn't have a heartbeat and, uh, you know, even at that, we were like, uh, what does that mean? Like, you know, and they're like, um, you know, the, the, there's no longer a, a living, you know, a child in there. And we were like, oh. And so we were like, uh, what, what do we do next? And so, oh, man. Um, you know, we went to the hospital. Um, my wife uh, delivered faith. Uh, we got to hold faith and spend time with her. And, um, and what's really cool is uh, by nature of our story and by nature of what we do, uh, we live our world in a glass bubble. Uh, we're on display for the world to see the good, the bad, the yeah. ugly. Um, and because we know it's, 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 we're going to impact people. And, and I've always told people, you know, Lord willing, you never get blown up. Um, if you have, I hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, yeah, yeah. But life, <laughs> life, life's going to blow you up. And, and at the end of the day, you're going to go, now what, God? Like, that's my hope. It's not why me, why this have to happen, but now what? God, what are you up to? And so for us, that was what we did. Uh, you know, the next day, here's a, you know our Facebook post. Uh, here's the journey of, of, hey, this wasn't what we had planned or even, you know, really understood. And uh, But ultimately, this was the journey, you know, God was going to send us down and we might not have signed up for it, but we're in it. So we're going to, you know, again, point to him because uh, it's not about us either way. Um, that's not 
ultimately that's not my daughter. Um, I mean, she was on earth for a little bit, but that's his daughter. Um, he created her. Um, and so for me, um, you know, I just get to tell his story through that. And so, uh, we did. And, um, shortly thereafter, um, you know, we did the whole, all right, couple months off of, you know, that was actually the day before Valentine, Valentine's day, uh, was that ultrasound. And so for a couple months, you know, health precautions, all that, we, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, um, try to have another um, kid. And uh, in the summer of that, uh, of the same year of 2014, uh, Danielle became pregnant again. And at 10 weeks uh, at our second ultrasound, they told us, hey, you know, um, you know, there's another miscarriage. Uh, it was actually technically our first miscarriage because um, Faith uh, died because she had amniotic band syndrome. So it wasn't anything... You know, she was a healthy child. Uh, the amniotic band just collapsed around her and built oh. the cord. Sometimes that happens, and a child is born with, you know, a missing finger or a missing toe or something like yeah. that. Hers just happened to, it's a really sticky band, and it just happened to seal, basically like a rubber band. It sealed around her umbilical cord. So they didn't even count that as a miscarriage. Nothing we did, nothing Danielle did, not genetic. Yeah. And so yeah. we had uh, another, uh, another little girl, and, uh, you know, so her name was Hope. Uh, we had already had a, you know, again, boy name, girl name picked out. That's our personalities. Uh, we, we didn't know either, uh, but we knew their names uh, either way. Uh, they had a story. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've said that was October of the same year. And the really cool part is at that time we said adoption has been big on both of our hearts prior to knowing each other. And we run the camp and we've always said we're going to adopt little boys. They're going to grow up at downrange and they're going to learn how to be men. I don't care what's happened to them in life. They're going to see manhood the right way. And so we said, are we missing it? Is, is God, does God want us to adopt? Are we not supposed to have kids? You know, are we, are we just you know, not really seeking him in this process? Are we missing something? And so, uh, literally week a week after you know the miscarriage with uh with hope we said hey we're not gonna we're not gonna try to have a kid we're gonna actively like not try to have a kid and we're going to um you know pursue the adoption route and so we started that paperwork and danielle became pregnant again and the i say it is a miracle paisley's due date uh was august 7th which actually happens to be national purple heart day um wow point big dummy over here who didn't who forgot to duck um, but she, uh, her due date was August 7th. And if you trace that back, you know, to when she was conceived, uh, we had our second miscarriage in October of the year before, and we weren't allowed to have intercourse for three months. Um, so October, November, December, meaning Paisley's due date should have been in October. Uh, her gestational birth date says she was conceived in October and it was medically impossible like we didn't have intercourse like danielle couldn't wow Um, whoa and so we said all right god um it was one of those where we we gave it to him and you know he is he wowed us um personally uh in this journey but also uh my wife is is I, i like to say i'm the toughest guy you know um i'm i'm it's a choice and i'm one of the toughest guys you will ever meet uh, and my wife rivals me in that. And so she has wow. had the opportunity to to care for 25 or 30 mothers since then who have gone through this journey. And, and they don't know who to turn to because it's not something people talk about. But yeah. yet they've heard our story. Uh, so it's just us 
living out our faith and, you know, giving God the praise when we're in the valley, the same way we give him the praise when we're on the mountaintop. You know, he's still God and I'm still me, regardless of where I am. That's so good. Hey, we're going to take just a short break and hear from our sponsor. We'll come right back. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's building an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts and every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called the Men in the Arena. There, you'll lock arms with men from all around the world who are stepping up as their best version. What is a man? What does he do? How does he live? When does he know when he's crossed over from male to man? The lines defining manhood have become blurred, and guys today are more confused than ever. That's why I wrote the man card, five characteristics separating men from boys. Guys, you're going to love this book. Go to the Great Unforgot app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. No book written defines manhood in such a way as this. I'll put the man card next to any book ever written on the topic. Yes, I believe it's that good. In the man card, I expose several myths of manhood and draw a line in the sand between men and males. This book will change your life. Guys, thank you so much for jumping into the arena with us today and championing the greatest battle of our time. Become your best version. Join the fight to change your world because when you get it, everyone wins. So, so as I talk to you, CJ, I'm just um, uh, very impressed with your maturity level and your outlook on life. It almost, to me, seems like that has all been accelerated in your life uh, beyond uh, normal men. Is that because of your injury? Your I don't want to call it an injury. You were not injured. and You were wounded. Is that because of your war wounds and, and you're having to navigate around the uh, deaths of faith and hope? Or is this something that you've always just uh, uh, possessed as part of your natural character? So I'm an old soul. Uh, okay. I remember being six or seven years old going to church with my grandparents and stopping by uh, their parents' house and sitting around the kitchen table with an 85-year-old great-grandfather who was the Purple Heart recipient, his wife, my great-grandmother, uh, and then my grandparents uh, after church drinking coffee, eating cheese, and just like the government cheese, uh, and just talking, <laughs> just hearing about life. Unpeel know? the wrapper, baby. So you said, you know, your grand, great-grandfather lost his leg in the war. Your grandfather mm-hmm. uh, is who you're named after. And then your father was a huge model of manhood in your life. Can you explain how those three men shaped you and how important that is for, the, for young men to have godly men and, and men who are actually men in their lives and not males? That's right. So my entire life, I was modeled manhood of guys at completely different ages. So uh, growing up as a five, six, seven-year-old, I saw what a 80-year-old man who lived a great life looked like. I saw what a 55, 60-year-old man with young grandkids and his intentionality and how he taught us stuff. You know, every, every opportunity was a teaching moment. Uh, and then my father, who, yeah, he, he's beyond, you know, a mentor to me. You know, we had coffee yesterday morning. Uh, uh, but, you know, we still hang out. But he, he taught me at an early age. It wasn't necessarily about him being my dad. It was about him wanting to mold a man. Because at the end of the day, he knew I'm going to turn 18 and I'm going to leave on my own. And he wanted me to be ready for the world. Not, hey, am I a good, you know, do I listen to him and obey? Because, you know, I still don't do that very well to anybody. But uh, that's, a, 
that's a work of art. Uh, but at the end of the day, it wasn't about him. It was about a bigger picture. So, uh, you know, for me, absolutely. It was, Hey, here's a, here is what it looks like. And so when life hit me head on at an early age, I, it was just really the opportunity me for me to demonstrate what I had been taught my whole life. You know, it was my first opportunity to do what I had been taught and what I knew. Well, that's really good, man. You said earlier in the podcast during the rapid fire round, every challenge presents itself as either an opportunity or an obstacle. And then you also said life's going to blow you up. For you, that blow up was literal. You literally got blown up. And then you you asked the question, now what? So what was your now what? You're, you've got blown up. You're in the hospital. You've got 41 surgeries. As you're going through the hospital, you shared in one of your YouTube videos that that you were laughing, friendly, you know, happy. They couldn't understand you. You know, that you went code blue and they had to revive you with the paddles. But but you were you had a great attitude even after you were uh, blown up. So you're now what you're you're recovering. You've had these surgeries. Uh, you've met this beautiful woman. You're you're in love. What's your now what? What what was the now what for you after all of this yeah. adversity? Absolutely, yeah. Doctors gave me the concussion test for three weeks because they thought I had a brain injury. Uh, they were like, you're too happy with what's just happened to you. And I just told them, I don't understand why you're not happy. Uh, yeah. you know, happiness doesn't come from your right arm. Cut this thing off. I'm going to be the same dude tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's just an arm. And you get a spare. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Two is one, one is none, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. My, uh, my now what actually happened on July 2nd. Uh, so I got hurt on June 15th. And one of my buddies who was sent to do my job as my replacement after I got hurt, was killed out on patrol with my guys where I easily could have been. And so um, Jeff, David Jefferson, was from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was married and had a one-year-old son. At the time, I was 21 and single. And so for me, I said, God, you got the wrong guy. I said, this, these scales don't add up. I said, this doesn't make sense. I said, but at the end of the day, I trust you. And if I am here, that means you got something big in store for me. So I don't know what it is, but here I am. Where, where are we going? And so from there, I have said, I don't say I don't have survivor's guilt. I'm not at all. They died. I didn't. No rhyme or reason. Good men, better men than me were killed. Uh, guys who were worse than me didn't get hurt. Oh, I mean, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. But at the end of the day, I am honor bound to the legacy of those guys that I got eight buddies that were in my company of 100 guys that are not here. That oh, I have a life. One. I have one life to live, but I got I got eight lives that I got to live a life worthy of and an impact that, you know, when I leave this life and when I leave this planet, the whole I'm going to leave and what I'm going to do cannot be undone. It's going to have the impact and significance of at least eight guys. Uh, so I live life each and every day with that tenacity, and it started on July the 2nd. Um, you know, when the tears ended of finding out that news, I said, all right, God, now what? You got me here. You know, if I'm in this because of you, now what? Um, get me out. So their lives, and, their lives and their legacy inspired you. Yeah. And I would say, you know, a lot of folks use the word motivation and inspiration. Um, I, that's borderline a feeling, you know, I, I got to have a, a master's degree in counseling, which I try not to, you know, come out of the closet very often and tell people that, um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a feeling. And I hate feelings. You know, my only feelings I had got blown up in Afghanistan and they're still out there somewhere. I love truth. Yeah, And so when I say I'm, dri I'm driven, it's a choice. Um, so when I'm not motivated and I'm not inspired, I'm still driven. Because uh, there's days where I don't, feel, I, don't, I don't feel like doing it. I want to just, you know, hey, screw this. I'm tired of this. This isn't fair, whatever. You know, I did a lot, whatever. No, 
I have a, I am bound to a code and a creed that is not about me. And I don't have a choice anymore other than to keep fighting. Well, it's like love. Love is a feeling, but it's way Sorry. more than that. It is a choice. And I think manhood yes. is a choice. For sure. You anybody to, can do it. You have to choose. I mean, anybody can put the, an erection in a vagina and produce a child, but not anyone can be a man and raise that child. Not everyone can be a man and learn the art of loving that wife. Not everyone can be a man and give back to his community. It takes a man to do that. Males don't, they choose the opposite route. They choose to be anonymous and to be in the bleachers where guys like you are in the arena fighting the battle and doing the deed. And so I really appreciate that. So you talked about <clears throat> that um, that an op that there's an opportunity for failure, but it also means a huge opportunity for success. So take us back to your why behind Camp Downrange. So you've got a great thing going on. And I, I'm so intrigued by your story. I could talk to you for about two hours, probably over coffee. But I really want people to know about Camp Downrange. I think that's a great thing. What's your why with Camp Downrange? Yeah, so I'm big on experience, not education. Uh, big difference. You know, if I ask you to tell me your favorite song versus I ask you to sing your favorite song in front of, <laughs> say, a thousand people, completely different experience. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, hey, you know, I don't. I want the old guy operating on me who has a ton of experience. I don't want the new guy from Harvard. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, for us, it was about the experience because we wanted to create a challenge where we talk about adversity and overcoming and perseverance. And those are great. We can come up with a cool definition, but that's on paper. I want to see it in person. You know, when we talk about David and Goliath here in the Bible Belt of the South, every 15 year old boy knows that story on paper. But they got no idea what a giant looks like in their life. And they got no idea how to kill it. Uh, and so for us, we put those tasks in front of them. Hey, buddy, here's your 80-pound sandbag, and these are the next five, six, seven hours you're going to carry it. And don't you dare let my sandbag hit the ground. And he's looking at me like I'm speaking Hebrew. I paid for, uh, he's like, like, I paid for this camp? <laughs> yes, exactly. You're going to pay dearly, too, for coming to this camp. Uh, but at the end of the day, you talk about a participation trophy. When they accomplish that and when yep. they achieve that, that you can't, you can't, that's priceless. You know, uh, you worded it in the book, whiners versus winners. Yep. You know, we do something difficult, something hard, and we like to look back on it and go, that was fun. Fun at Camp Down Range is doing hard things well. And that's what I want my life to be defined as. I have fun every day, and I try to go pick a fight with as many giants as I can. I don't always win, but I have fun picking the fight. I love it. I, you quoted my book. I love that. I love the end of my book where Jesus dies with an exclamation point. That was my favorite. Are you there yet? Are you? Have you read the whole thing? I'm. No, I've got. Oh man, 15, I've got 15 pages to go, but I did skip uh, ahead and saw the the cry. Was it? Is it a war cry? Yeah. Oh yeah. To me, that yeah, to me, right. most books I find the authors finish the books within the first couple chapters, and I really want to finish this book that's with right. a with a scream. And I think that's the best part of the book. So, well, thanks for. Well, that's gonna, how I want to. That's how I want to finish my life. You know, absolutely. That's how I my life. I want to. I want to die a hero's death, whether that's at 90 or at 29. If I leave tomorrow and go out sacrificially doing something, I want to live my life where people go, yep, that was him. I love it. I love it. Well, you're you you uh, you're known to say this. You grow through what you go mm -hmm. through. Talk me through that quote. Yes. So uh, every experience in life, you have the choice to deal with. Now, um, you, we don't get to choose those experiences. Hey, the kid that was abused or neglected or, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and sometimes just purely evil. But at the end of the day, you still have a choice in some of that. And so for us, we always say use that because 
Uh, I, I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to that do not see life the way I see it. Mm. They do not worship the way I worship. Uh, but yeah, they connect to me because they, they understand and they've gone through adversity. And then I can just ask them questions. You know, at the end of the day, what is your hope in? You know, because if your hope's in a list of goals, life isn't going to turn out. Uh, if your hope is in this life, newsflash, you ain't going to make it out. Uh, death rates, it's solid. 100%, um, baby. I mean, yeah. <laughs> So, and so for me, I, I, you know, my life is not, you know, I, I laugh and say it's not even my life. You know, it's not mine. I just get to live it right now because God allows me to. And when he's done with me, he'll kill me. Ask Moses. Uh, he'll kill me when he is done with me. And so that's just the way I approach every day. And, and people connect to that. It's true and it's heavy. But at the end of the day, the, the greater the, the challenge, deep down, people want to accomplish it. They want to give it a shot. No, like John Eldridge says, do I have what it takes? Yeah. We're just inviting people to the challenge. Everyday life's tough. Get in a fight. I don't know if you have what it takes. And they respond. All right. Well, you know, Teddy Roosevelt talked about the strenuous life. And we live in a world where, where people are soft. I mean... As much as I'd like to think I'm a tough guy and I can, I'm soft. I'm soft compared to the guys who, a hundred years ago. I mean, we sit on toilets mm-hmm. that flush. You know, uh, my dad's truck, his his steering wheel's heated. I mean, you know, we are so soft, and so we have to involve ourselves in hard things so that we're constantly learning and growing through adversity and realizing I do have what it takes. Or, man, I, I didn't. And I need to grow and get better. And so I really appreciate that. So from your battle plan on your website, you say the purpose of the Manhood Academy is to train up males. I love how you wrote that word. I'm feeling it. (laughs) Train up males to understand the lifelong war that comes with the pursuit of becoming a man of God. Now, this part I really resonate with. It is our conviction that society has convoluted and confused the identity of what it means to be a man. It sounds like I wrote this, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I might have wrote that. That might be in my book. So, so <laughs> I love this, man. So explain this, this word convoluted, convoluted. What is your thought about how society, you said it's our conviction that society has convoluted and confused the identity. Walk me through that. Well, an easy example, because again, I love, I love images, love images, I love analogies. It's just I'm simple. Some might call it stupid, but I'm very simple. Um, and, and for me, if you want to be a police officer, who trains you? The police officer. Mm-hmm. If you want to go play professional baseball, don't go see a soccer player about learning how to pitch. You know, again, you go and you see people where you are. And you let them teach you. But in our society, there is no place where men are teaching boys, young guys, what it means to be a man. Uh, Why are we not, you know, again, I had the privilege as a 23-year-old, fully medically retired, single guy, about to get married, to sit around a table at church in a Band of Brothers series led by, you know, some solid men at the table where I was the misfit, I did not belong, but I got to hear what it was like to run a business by somebody who was a multimillionaire, to hear what it was like about, you know, difficulties. And, you know, our chairman of the board has buried his father and his son. But to hear him talk about, you know, what it means to keep walking. I mean, he's got the reputation and he's got the respect. And so for me, I was, I was, you know, who I am today is, is a hundred percent because of the men that impacted me. But that's not the case for everybody. And so for, for us, you know, society, what does it mean to be a man? I don't 
know, what's your Fortnite score? What's your Call of Duty score? Uh, you know, how far can you hit a baseball? You know, how many girls did you sleep with? Like, you know, that's not a man. Yeah. You know, I could walk in and my joke, which, you know, my wife laughs at, um, it's been in the newspaper because I didn't know somebody was quoting me. But uh, <laughs> my joke is I can walk into any bar in America and tell my story and take some girl home. That's not hard. You know, I could tell her the side story. I'm a war hero. I work with kids. Some of them are stupid, too. And, you know, I, I help out kids. And, uh, big deal. But that woman that I'm married to has seen me at my best and has seen me at my worst more often than not. And to make her want to have sex with me, that's the challenge. And my goal is to be the 75, 80-year-old man that still has the woman grabbing his butt when he walks into church. Uh, that's, that's a challenge. That's manhood. Not, you know, yeah. oh, you lied to some poor girl at, at a bar. Like, too well, easy. Yeah, I had so somebody. I had just, somebody, We're telling the wrong story. I had somebody tell me the other day about a single, single 50-year-old guy who I know who's been single all his life, never married, <clears throat> no kids. A lot of drug and alcohol problems, but this guy bragging about him said that guy has had sex with a thousand with what do you say, two hundred women a two hundred women or something like that or a thousand women, and I said let me tell you a little story. See that woman over there? I've had sex with her two thousand times. Who's the bigger stud? Anybody can go and dip the wick, but to love one woman all of your life and to make her want you. That is a man. It takes a man. That males yeah. cannot handle that, but that's what men do. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. So um, I don't want to tie sex into your manhood academy, but I do want to go <laughs> back to your manhood academy because these are younger guys, right? These are 12 to 22-year-olds generally. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, to the 12-year-old today knows more than I did when I was 17 or 18. Oh, no. So I'm, I, just, I know that. I know that. I'm just trying to – so now – and you also, at man, uh, you also allow companies to come in. Like I could bring my board in. And do a weekend with yes. you guys? Yes. We so do. organizations, uh, teams, schools, organizations. Yep. These big pansies are shaking their head. No, <laughs> they don't want to carry the eighty-pound sandbag. It's gonna hurt. <laughs> or, or we can play paintball. Uh, and my buddy who works for us, who happens to be a ten-year Green Beret, he'll be the guy you're hunting. <laughs> oh, bring it on! I'm, That'll hurt, dude. How much does it cost for a company to come and like bring ten guys? What's the what's the fee for a couple days? Uh, it's really a per person and what you want to do, but I'd say on average, just you're talking like 150, 200 bucks, you know, a day, depending on what we're doing. If we're shooting or playing paintball, yeah. obviously there's like some variable costs, but not that much. I mean, you spend uh, way more doing stuff that you get way less out of. I hear you. So now, how did you come into the 200 acres as a young guy like that? Was that in the family, or how does that work? So again, uh, somebody actually told us about this place. Uh, before and then also how we even started the nonprofit. And I told my dad about the idea, and he said, uh, "You know, I think that's a great idea." Uh, we told some some significant you know mentors in our life and friends in our life that we look up to, church, business. And they said that's a great idea. I want to serve on the board. And so we really started the foundation, not knowing what we were doing, but surrounding ourselves by an incredible team. Mm. And so, uh, so that's really it. It's got nothing to do with us. It's the people that are around us. That's Um, cool. I I still don't know how to work QuickBooks and I'll never, uh, but, uh, at the the end of the day, we're surrounded by some awesome people. And so that really is the story of the camp, the story of the organization, the story of a lot of our programming. Uh, I just, unfortunately, uh, by trade, I'm a plow horse. I like to do the work, but uh, they've allowed me to be the show pony every once in a while. Oh, that's cool. Well, now, exp- I have here written down our program breaks guys down into groups based on day, overnight, weekend, or week-long missions. Mm-hmm. Each mission will help them along the paths of manhood. So 
walk me through some of the things that you guys do. If I were to bring, if I, let's say I'm a 18 to 22 year old young man and I want to go experience a manhood Academy, what are some things I get to look forward to? Yeah. So we have a 50 foot rappel tower that's built. Um, you know, our fire department uses it for training. We use it for, again, different scenarios. We have a full scale pistol range, connect city where our SWAT team, uh, police department train at. Uh, we also use it when we play paintball. Sometimes we'll, we'll get to be out for against the law enforcement, which is always fun. Uh, we have four military obstacle courses, literally taken from the Army's training manual. Uh, a couple mount paintball courses where you are room clearing in, in buildings. And, but, uh, you know, those are the what's, the physical. Um, at the end of the day, what we do is we build all of that around, you know, the experience that is applicable to you downrange in life. That's why the oh. camp's called down, downrange. It's not, it's not anything to do with the military language. It's, uh, it's more, you know, bless you, by the way. Uh, that wasn't more, me, dude. That was not me. <laughs> it's got a uh, downrange, you know, it's more to do with, hey, you know, we do a trek where we take rucksacks and sandbags and we're going on a distance unknown. You know, you don't know how far we're going. For some, that's 15 miles. For some, that's 25 miles. Some that starts at 9 p.m. and goes through the night. Some that starts at 4 a.m. and ends at noon. Um, you know, it just is challenging, but that's life. And so we then connect that to, hey, being a husband, hey, being a father. Hey, being a business owner, you gonna quit now? I got it. You got a cramp. Walk through it. It'll turn into a bruise shortly, and it'll go away. Um, you know, I mean, what's the problem? You just gonna walk out and quit? You know, on this? Because if you'll quit on this, if all it took was four hours to break you down, how dare you come home and say, "Hey, I want to marry your daughter." <laughs> Good luck. Um, you know, like so. That's really what our challenge is. And so again, it's just really we build it around the experience that the group wants to have is it work is it family is it parenting is it relationships is it personal hey i want to i want to focus on what does it mean to be tough what does it mean to fight yeah you know we have a saying at, at camp downrange there's no skill required but you better learn how to fight like you're the third monkey on the ramp of noah's ark um i mean it's, uh, go get it you don't have a seat third you month we ripped it off yeah it's you, you you don't have a seat you better go yank that other one off and get on the boat or you're gonna die oh i love it or, or dale third donkey huh okay anyway well you know it's interesting you know so one of our aspects of man our fifth one is finishing strong in a world of men who finish wrong and mm -hmm. you have a statement that you're known uh every now and again to say to students and that statement is you're gonna do this until you complete it Talk me through that. That's right. Uh, I would say uh, we face, uh, it's not that guys want to fight us, because most people assume, well, what does that 15-year-old do when you're in his face? Because I'm not yelling at him. I'm talking to him like this. Yeah. But uh, we have some that want that, that do want to fight, and I, we get out the pupil sticks, and we invite the opportunity. Um, now, I can't fight the 15-year-old, because I don't really look good in orange. Uh, but we do have some, <laughs> some, some minors on our staff that are rather large boys, uh, learning to be men that they get to, all right, you want to fight, fight. I want you to fight. Uh, but rather our biggest challenge is guys just quit. They just, yeah. they just sit down. We've had guys sit down in the road and let their team carry them versus walking. And so, you know, for us, uh, that's what we always say, look, there's nothing in our program that says we have to feed you every day, three times a day. Like, try me. Like, we're going to be here until you get this done. Yeah. And we've had some test our limits. And, you know, three to four, five hours later, they, they, they finally get it. Uh, 
but they're always incredible after that. Once they come to that breaking point of, I can't do anymore, and then they realize, man, it's 10 a.m. We got eight hours left. Like, you're going to do way more. This is day one. Uh, and it's a, it's, you're talking to a new person. Day four, you see a complete transformation like of a 13-year-old kid. Um, parents say that all the time. When they come to pick him up, they're like, he looks different. Not just because he's bruised and cut up, but like he looks different. Uh, yeah. He's carrying himself differently. And like, you know, they see that. And we hear that all the time, especially from moms, which is really cool because, again, we're rough time. We're not, I'm not politically correct. Uh, I don't care if it offends you. That's your problem. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I mean, it, it's who we are. And moms, when we talk about masculinity, which is offensive in our culture, uh, moms are the ones that love what we do to their teenage boys and want to send them back. Well, here's the deal. The modern media and political people will talk about this ridiculous phrase called toxic masculinity. That is a phrase that has been made up by the media. And what I have found, I'm a very pro-woman. I think part of our society is because women will just open their legs for anybody. They're weak. They're soft. They're wimpy. They give in. And they've created men who did that. Where the Wild West was won by strong women who forced men to change. So women, I we're all about strong women. However, we live in a country that has... Uh, made men soft and they've told men if you are a tough guy or if you are a guy who endures you are that's toxic and here's the problem man I mean, you I, and I love this because these 18 20 year olds are a guy your age married five and a half years marriage is hard it is every tough. day and I am so sick and tired of this phrase no fault divorce I think that should be a felony I think you should throw them in jail for that here's the deal guys you either work it out or one of you or you go to jail because no-fault divorce means lazy, soft, weak-sauce quitters. And I'm so sick and tired of 50% divorce rate, and it's the same rate in the church. And if the church would stop crying about, oh, we don't like the homosexuals, and start fixing their own marriages, we might be on a better track. And our men are so weak and so unwilling to fight. I'm on a rant right now. You got me fired up. But we've oh, got yeah. to fix the problem of men who are willing to sit in the road and say, I want everybody else to carry me. I want everybody, you know, Dr. George was a chiropractor for 40 years or whatever, 35 years. He got paid. Men would, men would bring their wives in and pay him to lay him down on the table and fix his <laughs> wife. But that's not reality in a marriage. You have to fix your own marriage. And so anyway, I'm just resonate with you, man. So I, I really appreciate your saying we've got to make this generation turn. We've got to turn it around. And it's my generation, the Gen Xers, these 40 to 60-year-olds who have created the participation trophy. We are the ones who have created the helicopter mom or the bulldozer dad. And we have to fix that. Or the generation right. underneath us, which is you, needs to fix that. Because it's a, it's a wrong. We've marginalized men because we've made them so soft. That's right. We always say it might not be your fault that they act that way, but it's still our responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, hey, man, we're a... Uh, we're over time, man, but I do want to ask you one last question. I'd like to get you on the show again. Uh, we'll get you on again because I think we got a lot more to talk about here. So, uh, But here at the Man Card Podcast, and you've read the Man Card, you're reading the Man Card book, we believe five things, uh, five characteristics make a man a man, and those are protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Of those five, CJ, which resonates with you the most right now and why? 
So I struggled to answer that. I knew you were going to ask because I did do some homework and listen to podcasts. And so I struggled, uh, but I'm going to go with uh, the first one that, that really came to me, and that's really protecting integrity. Um, I would say that's the, the big battle for me, even as an individual, you know, just complete, you know, vulnerability here because so much of my life was, I was taught to compartmentalize, you yeah, know, yeah. Hey, e- even the military didn't like, you know, damage me or cause that, but like it exacerbated that when it's like, Hey, your buddy just got shot in the face and I know you're hurt and I know that's sad and you can go in the corner and cry, but in an hour we're going on patrol. So I need you back. And so for me, I'm going, all right, got it. So for me, I've been able to compartmentalize my life in other areas to go, hey, I'm hurting in this area, but I don't have time to fix it because I got all this other stuff going on. And uh, the really the, the revolutionary thought for me was in premarital counseling. Our, our therapist is an awesome guy. We actually saw him Sunday and said, hey, uh, was um, he said that it was a book. Men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. And uh, hey, I'm, bring, I'm bringing them on the podcast. Farrell is his name. Yes, yeah, he's yes. coming on the show. So, I'll be listening to that one because I love it. Because <laughs> again, and it makes so much sense. I've put so much syrup in three or four, you know, spices on my waffle, and then there's some that are just completely dry. And, and yet, my wife takes one drop of spaghetti sauce, and it is in every noodle. And so, for me, it's learning how not to compartmentalize that. It's, I mean, and that is me, you know, to say, hey, look. Uh, I love this story, and I've told it so many times about the the couple that was going to get chicken on a picnic, and you know, and the cash box, and and I have I have I have open jaws in the last week of guys going, dang, and and I've sent them to the book, I've sent them to the podcast, and I'm like, hey, look, and I'm in it in that email. I've been getting bruised up listening to this stuff and, and challenged <laughs> by the book, and and I love it because I love to fight, and part of getting in a fight is you're gonna get hit. And so, no, you get, I'm just saying, I love the, you know, so I, I love the, the integrity start component because, you know, I love that story because, you know, for me, it is learning how not to compartmentalize aspects in my life and going, look, either you have integrity or you don't, it does not matter your character in these nine areas if you're missing one. And so for me, it's just, a, it's, it, it seems like an impossible goal. Um, and it is on your own without Christ. Yeah. But each and every day, if you lean in and engage that fight, you can win and you can overcome. And so I know how to fight and I know how to hang in there and I know how to take a punch. So as long as I'm willing, um, I think, you know, again, I'm going to continue to be on that path forever. That's so good. Well, you know, it's really interesting because we as men are compartmentalized and you talked about the syrup and I think guys compartmentalize their faith. They compartmentalize a lot of, a lot of things, but when it comes to our faith, that syrup is God, and he wants to be over all of those compartments, not just one little compartment. Sure. And my wife and I, just yesterday, we were laughing about the nothing box. She said, oh, well, you, well, you have a nothing box. I go, you know, I go, I've been thinking about that nothing box, and I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I agree with it 100%, but I'm going to push on the nothing box a little bit, because I told my wife, I said, you know, honey, the times I go to my nothing box are when I have went too hard, and I have outlasted outspent my energy i would be better served to go at a pace i can continue throughout the day so the nothing box is not needed so instead of going hard until five i'm thinking how can i go moderately hard till 10 so i'm just thinking about that i'm processing that because even though i believe in the nothing box i wonder if the nothing box is a default for a failure to plan i'm not i'm just processing it right now yeah I'm just as a defense mechanism almost. Your body is learning how to compensate and adjust for again. You're, I'm with you. Yeah. Moderation. Moderation. It's a confusing word for me. Well, I'm not saying to be moderate. I'm just saying to run at a pace. Like if you're rucking, pace, like we did that forty mile death ruck. Next year it's gonna be more. So 
to get to a pace where you can finish that strong instead of humping it hard and being burnt out and all jacked up with crotch rash and blisters and you know at 10 miles and so it's the the balance life is not a sprint it's a marathon and i'm not a runner mm-hmm. i'm not a runner so my thought is how can we go hard the hardest we can for the longest amount of time i i'm still wrestling with that at 52 i'm wrestling with that so anyway hey man cj thinks i i just threw that out was a bonus little bonus thought there for <laughs> us both so you got me hey i i value podcasts based on how our guests cause me to create and listen and you have done that today my mind is spinning i really have enjoyed your passion your conviction hey let's say i'm listening to this podcast and i'm interested in sending my company to camp downrange or i'm interested in uh, sending my teenager to camp downrange what's what's the best way to reach you do you have a website how do we get a hold of you guys yeah campdownrange.org just one word campdownrange.org is the easiest you can contact through that uh, we do have a Facebook page. I'm not on social media, so if you send anything, you know, somebody will get it and it'll get sent along. But we do have a Facebook page, Camp Downrange. Uh, I think we have an Instagram. Again, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Mother, Mother Teresa did not have a Twitter account, is what I like to say. So I don't know. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, hey, CJ, thank you, man, so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and experience with our men in the arena and for being a man in the arena yourself. Men, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Changing your world is the toughest thing you'll ever do, but we want to help you with your life battle plan. Here are three steps to encourage you on your journey. First thing is enlist. Download our free resource. we got a great app, The Great Hunt for God. We have the Man Card Podcast, which you're listening to. Subscribe. Write a positive review. We'll send you some swag. And then join the almost 10,000 men in the arena on our closed Facebook forum for men. Second, guys, invest. Go to our gear page or our app on our, or our website. Invest in our resource that help you become the best version of you. And let me just tell you this. If our stuff does not resonate with you, go find somebody else's and buy their stuff. Invest in, go to Camp Downrange, carry an 80 pound sandbag with some guy with a jacked up arm screaming at you the whole time. You will love this stuff. Invest in your life. Your family needs you to be your best version. The third thing, guys, is this change your world because when a man gets it, everyone Everyone wins. wins. Guys, get involved in serving your community, get involved in loving your woman, get involved in loving your kids, get involved in starting a, a virtual team with a great hunt for God. Get in the game. Get out of the anonymous bleachers. Guys, join us and build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called the Man Card Weekend with the men in the arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. Do you want to keep your man card? 
Then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, The Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.